Thank you very much, uh, Corey. If you were to see Corey and me together, you could title it A Study in Contrast. It uh, seems that I often get assigned a topic in chapel. <laughs> and it is always on one of two subjects. <laughs> the two in which some people believe I have some skill and specialization, <laughs> and those two are sex and chapel. <laughs> now even if Stu had not told you what my topic was, you would have known ahead of time that it could not, this morning, be on sex. Because I would not speak on that until the spring semester. <laughs> For there's something in the water around here, I don't know what it is, your libido kicks in only come March. And so I am uh, delighted again to speak to you on the role and the place of chapel. And I would like to very briefly preface my remarks with a reading from Scripture, uh, Exodus chapter 25, the first eight verses, which I'm not really going to say too much about, uh, but I would like to read it in preparation for my emphases, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and my most favorite of all, hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Now I think it's these last two verses, eight and nine. Then have them make me a sanctuary and I will dwell among them. That's just verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. 
Well, I have seven things I want to say to you this morning. The first three we can get through relatively easily and quickly. The last four, I believe, are the meat of my comments. The first is, what are my credentials, if any, to speak on the subject of the place and role of chapel at Asbury College? Well, I think my credentials are as follows. As an undergraduate student at a sister college to Asbury, in, I attended three years, 270 chapels. Four years as a seminary student, twice a week, 240 chapels. And in the 31 years that I have taught here, 1,778 chapels. To give me a total of 2,288 chapels. Now, I'm probably do not have a 100% attendance record. As a matter of fact, I think out of those 2,200 plus times, I probably attended times. <laughs> Actually, uh, I believe I have a, a very good record here. So I believe that one of my credentials to speak on this topic this morning is that I have 38 years experience of attending chapel. And you will have to determine whether that is an asset or a liability in the topic on which I am speaking this morning. As a matter of fact, I would encourage Stu Smith when he looks forward to this chapel next year not to invite a senior faculty member to speak on this topic, but maybe to ask a faculty member who's just been here two or three years. Because maybe I've been doing it too much, too often, and uh, just don't take the one on sex away from me. <laughs> well, my second point is this. How much of your time will you spend at this hour sitting in chapel? my calculation is correct, we have 43 chapels this semester. And I didn't check it out, but I'm going to assume that we have 43 chapels next semester as well. 86 chapels a year. And assuming that you are here for four years, that means if you have 100% attendance, 
you will be involved in 344 chapels. And since most chapels run in the area of 50 minutes, that means you will spend in chapel in this room at this hour 17,200 minutes. Or to put it into hours, about 290 hours. Or to put it into 24-hour times, 12 straight days. Now, think of that, 290 hours. Compare that, for example, with how many hours you will spend, unless you're majoring, but if you're not majoring, how many hours you will spend in a course like psychology or sociology? 35 hours. Throw in your out-of-class work brings it up to maybe 40. <laughs> but 290 hours in chapel. About 35 hours in philosophy. About 35 hours in composition and fine arts about 70 hours in literature, about 70 hours in Western civilization, and a little over 100 hours in Bible and theology. Yeah. <laughs> but 290 hours chapel over a four-year period. And so I think we need to underscore the fact that the chapel experience involves an incredible investment of time on everybody's part. Well, here's my third point. I have already read to you from one sacred inspired text, Exodus chapter 25. Let me read from another sacred and inspired text, the Handbook for Community and Residence Life. <laughs> Page 10, corporate worship, fellowship, and instruction is essential to the growth of the Christian chapel services. The growth of the Christian chapel services are held on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, each week at 10 o'clock. While attendance is required for all students, chapel should not be a substitute for involvement with a local church fellowship. Well, I have even a better statement than that. The Asbury College Bulletin, 2003. It is so well written, at least chapel, I am convinced it was co-authored by God and Dr. Thomas. <laughs> 
One of the historic distinctives of, um, by the way, I'm on page 16, if you have your copy with you. <laughs> One of the historic distinctives of Asbury College is required chapel three times per week, each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning of the semester, the campus community gathers together in Hughes Memorial Auditorium to sing, to pray, to hear the word proclaimed. In this context, the great themes of the Bible, of human intellect, of the world, and of life in general are addressed by a wide range of speakers. The understandings of faith of ideas and of music are expanded as students, faculty, staff are challenged to listen, to think, to believe, and to commit to the calling of Christ to be his people in a broken world. And the third source from which I was going to read, but will not, was from the faculty manual. Because what it says about chapel is so anticlimactic to just what I read. But it says some very important things nevertheless. So my point here is that any document that this institution publishes emphasizes the importance and the significance of this hour. So those are three things that I briefly wanted to mention. Let me now progress to number four. My fourth point is this. That to the best of my knowledge, Every college or university that was once passionately Christian, but subsequently has moved away from, if not renounced, that heritage, has followed a certain dynamic. That dynamic is never something involving revolution. It is always something involving evolution. The changes are slow, gradual, sometimes almost imperceptible. And it seems to me that while it's a complex situation, if an institution goes from being an avowedly Christian institution to a secular institution, part of that evolutionary process involves something with a chapel program. And I would want to suggest to you that there are four downward stages in this process. I'm going to give you four words that rhyme with the letter. Well, they, all, they will all rhyme together. The first word that I want to use is the word attenuation. 
And what I mean by attenuation is three things. Number one, the number of times you have chapel gets reduced. Number two, the length of chapel gets reduced. And thirdly, required attendance is replaced by voluntary attendance. Attenuation. My second word is dilution. That is to say, chapel gets stripped of its exclusively religious focus and emphasis and is watered down to include just about every conceivable subject one could imagine. Attenuation, dilution, third word, marginalization. It's there if you want it. It's there for anybody who's interested, but institutionally, it is no longer important. And my final word is elimination. That is to say, required religious services come to be looked upon as an intrusion into the academic life and the undiluted pursuit of truth. Tinkering, tampering, trashing. That is the robe that chapel often travels. And thank God at Asbury, we aggressively resist that. And that leads me to my fifth point. And it is this. What is the one occasion? What is the one occasion that brings as many of us as possible, students, faculty, staff, what is the one occasion that brings the most of us together at the same time, at the same place, for the same purpose? Well, I think we can eliminate certain things. It certainly is not the cafeteria if for no other reason that we have married students and others who live off campus and most of us faculty do not eat in the cafeteria on a regular basis. And if you have attended any of our varsity athletic games, it's probably not loose. And even though we have a beautiful library very seldom do you have to hunt for a seat. Sometimes you have to hunt for just someone to talk to. <laughs> the one, the only experience that brings the overwhelming majority of us together at the same time, the same place, for the same purpose, is the chapel time. 
And while some of you who are not from Kentucky are, will not understand or appreciate the analogy I'm about to use, I would like to suggest to you, for those of you who are familiar with the greater Lexington area, that the role that Rupp Arena fills on the campus of the University of Kentucky is filled by Hughes Auditorium on our campus. And so you can go to a basketball game and you will get more people together in Rupp for that from the University of Kentucky simply for the reason that we love our cats. And I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the primary reason, or one of the primary reasons, we come together as much as we do at this hour in this place is not because we love our cats, it's because we love our Christ. And I have reflected on the fact that this building is called Hughes Auditorium. I wonder why they didn't call it Hughes Speakatorium. I mean, after all, there's an awful lot of us up here. Now, my understanding of the word auditorium, at least the first part of it, the A-U-D-I part of it. That refers to the fact that an auditorium is a place where we gather to listen. That's what makes it an auditorium. We are here to listen. We are here to listen to God when He speaks whether it's through singing, or speaking, or testimony, or any kind of kinds of ministry that we might have. That's why I am asking God this year that He will give me the gift of ears, that I will be able to hear what He is saying to me that you will be able to hear what he is saying to you and then make the appropriate response. And that's one of the reasons why we have this altar running across the front of the auditorium. I've reflected on the fact that, is there any reason why we have chapel at 10 a.m.? I would be willing to, I was going to say bet, but, you don't say that in chapel. <laughs> I would be willing to entertain the motion. <laughs> that if we did not have chapel at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock would be the most popular class hour for the overwhelming majority of you. Now, we couldn't have it at 8, because the majority of you at that hour are comatose. 
you might be interested to know that in bygone years, at least on Saturday morning, we, we did have it at 8, but we had revival and God delivered us from it. And it would be difficult probably to have it at nine because you're still shaking off the effects of rigor mortis. <laughs> Eleven or twelve, you're too hungry. One is siesta time. <laughs> and two and three are out because you've got to get on your way to beat Wilmore's rush hour traffic. If I were in the area of television, I think we would refer to this particular time as really prime time on the schedule. And the reason we select prime time is because we believe that this is such a primary situation and hour. That leads me to my Next to my last point, my sixth point. And that is that chapel is something that is deliberately designed to be both spiritually enriching and educationally valuable. Now, I don't think this morning that I'll get any argument on the first of those that's the reason why I started our reading this morning from Exodus chapter 25. That God wants to come. God wants no longer to be a remote, inaccessible, unapproachable deity whose residence is on the top of a mountain. But he wants now to be a God that wants his people to build a building, a tabernacle, a sanctuary, in the middle of which he would dwell among his people. So I don't think I would get any argument this morning on the fact that chapel is designed to be spiritually enriching. But is it also designed to be educationally valuable? I have been intrigued over the years to notice how often when a student leads in prayer in chapel, like Lacey did so beautifully this morning, you will hear something in a student prayer that you will never hear in a faculty prayer. What do you think it is? And you won't hear this in all student prayers either. It's something you will hear time to time in student prayers that you will never hear in faculty prayers. And it is a prayer that goes something like this. Lord, please help us to put out of our mind everything we talked about in the 9 o'clock class if we had one and all the assignments and the papers that are before us, just help us to put those out of our mind exclusively and forget about them so that we can focus upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, I'll say two things about that prayer. Number one, I do not think most of you need God's help to ask, help you forget. <laughs> most of you can. You, you can just put it out as easily as that, you know. The second concern I have with that kind of a prayer is that it, it raises a false clash between what you rate, talk about in class, which may be interesting but not necessarily helpful in your walk with God, and what you're going to hear in this chapel, which is presumably helpful in your walk with God. Have you ever heard a student pray at the beginning of 11 a.m. math class after chapel. Dear God, help us to forget everything that we heard in chapel <laughs> so that we can learn everything you want us to learn this morning about differential equations. In Jesus' name, amen. I am sure that many of you are aware that the motto of this school is eruditio et religio. And I think one of our former presidents, Dr. David Geyertsen, gave a best free translation of that into English when he translated those two Latin words as follows. Academic excellence and spiritual vitality. Academic excellence, that's the eruditio. Spiritual vitality, that's the religio. Now what I want to say to you this morning, do not look for all of the eruditio in class and library and computer lab. And look for all of the religio in chapel and class and hall prayer meetings and the like. I urge you not to make the mistake of saying, I will take my head to class, but my heart to chapel. Because if you take your head to class and only your heart to chapel, more than likely you will miss the benefit of both class and chapel. Chapel is something designed to be spiritually enriching and educationally valuable. And the last thing I'd like to say is this. Chapel is not, is not I underline the word not, chapel is not some kind of a miniature church. There are some obvious ways in which chapel is different from church. Uh, number one, we have no full-time chapel minister. Uh, number two, we have required attendance. Number three, we have assigned seating. Number four, we don't normally pay the speakers. And number five, we very seldom observe the sacraments. 
But there is one other way in which chapel is much different from church that I would like to labor before you this morning. Most churches that you worship at, whether it's a church in this area or whether it's a church back home, you go to that particular church because you're comfortable there. It has a certain kind of atmosphere to it that you like. You like that style of speaking as opposed to that style of speaking. Or you like this kind of worship style as opposed to that kind of worship style. You like this size of a church as opposed to that. I can't imagine, for instance, that there are very many people who attend Southland Christian said, I wish this church were not as large. I would suggest to you there's a remarkable homogenization about churches. And that's why you go there, because you like the way they worship and everybody else. But in Asbury College, we celebrate diversity in community. And so one chapel will be as different from another chapel as a day can be different from night. And I think there's another point as I conclude here. I believe there's even a place for what you will hear students referring to as a boring chapel. What makes a boring chapel boring? Well, I have no idea. But I will tell you this. I see two points of significance to even that kind of a chapel having a necessary role here at the college. Number one is this. What for you, for whatever reason, what for you may be a boring chapel for the person sitting beside you might be a life-transforming chapel. Because we're so different. We're so different. And God speaks to us through different venues and in different ways. I can illustrate that, but I'm out of time and I don't. I think the second valuable significance to a chapel is that a boring chapel has the potential to make each of you aware how much you can be a boring person. Do not think, any of us, that you are God's gift to Asbury <laughs> or God's gift to the classroom or God's gift to anything of this nature. And so we come together 290 hours in a variety of venues and formats as the people of God to worship Him, to praise Him, to listen to Him, and to respond to Him.
And that's what this hour is all about. Let's pray. We have sat again in your presence this morning, Lord Jesus, as we sang, as Corey ministered to us, and as we have thought about the place and purpose of this chapel experience. We pray that this would be a gracious, God-visiting year among us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.